Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and resulting in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. Good morning, church. Hope you're as happy to be here today as I am. Um, Been looking forward, well actually that's not the truth, I haven't been looking forward because I had no idea what I was going to talk on. Um, I brought this to the attention of my life group and said pray for me because I have no idea. Thought came Friday morning a week ago and I've been massaging it ever since. But before I get started, I want to give a shout out to the women's ministry. Yesterday they held a seminar on mentoring and Judy came home and just, you know, and uh, she was excited and, and I was excited for her because uh, I spent some time praying for her. I've been spent some time a- answering questions that she asked me about mentoring and things of that, um, going into my depth of knowledge, which isn't much. But uh, anyway, she bounced some things off of me and everything else, and I thought it was pretty cool. And I thought, man, what a, how, how neat that is. And so 12 women got together yesterday, and they went through that class. And I thought, man, that, that is just awesome for us for this church. And I just pray that it will continue to grow and the mentoring will take place and the women will encounter each other. Just this, And I hope this transforms over to the men as well. But this morning, as most of you, as well as myself, have followed the news, realize what has taken place in Israel. That fateful Saturday when... 1,400 Israelis lost their lives because of one group who determined that they should not exist. I had to ask, and I continue to ask God, why? I don't understand. I mean, Israel is a nation who, who, I mean, their military is top grade. I mean, how did the, the intelligence not pick up on this. How did it, how did they sneak this through? I, I just don't understand. But what I didn't understand the most was when they interviewed a young individual who survived. Name was Rotem Matthias, age 16. He lost both of his parents because an explosive device was thrown into the house and it exploded. His mother's lifeless body landed on top of him. And he said in, his inter- in the interview, as I prayed for any God, I did not really care which God, I just prayed for a God that they would not find me. And to me that was disheartening. A nation chosen by God, a nation giving a promise by God, and as I began to look through 1 Samuel, because I'm going to be taking broad strokes through this, these two books, 1 and 2 Samuel, this passage stood out to me 
which said, For the Lord will not forsake his people, for his great name's sake, because it, was, it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Regardless of what happened that Saturday, they are still God's people. Regardless of the fact that somehow this young man is not taught about the God of Israel, God is, they are still God's people. And he will see history f- completed through them as he is deemed. But war is not uncommon because if we take a step way back in time, especially in the book of 1 Samuel, we find that there's an enemy called the Philistines. Israel had fought a number of battles, and these battles resulted in losses as well as victories. But in chapter 4, the Philistines routed Israel. Bringing, and then they thought, the, the armies thought, well, if we bring the ark up, God will be with us and we will be able to celebrate. So they brought the ark with them up to the battlefield, and something didn't work. For they said, let us bring the ark up to the, of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our, our enemies. But the Philistines captured the ark. And the ark was then displaced. It was taken to the Philistines' capital. And there a series of different events took place that the Philistines finally said, hey, we need to get rid of this thing. And so they put it on a cart eventually, and it meandered through the countryside and ended up in Beth Shemesh. But in Beth Shemesh, the Israelites who had it, because there was a, a, a priest there, the priest took it off the, off the cart that it was traveling on, and they put it down. But there were some very curious men there, and they happened to open the ark up and look inside, and 70 men lost their lives. And then it says in chapter 6, verse 20, Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And as I pondered that verse, I came up with the question, or the question came upon me, Who can stand? Who can stand before God? And so as I moved through this book, I began to pick up on the different characters, the main characters that are presented through the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. The first person we're introduced to is Hannah. A woman who is desperate for a child. She is the, the, she is the, the first wife, it seems, of Ekleniah, who, who shows her as his favorite, but... Rem, rem, Rabbinic tradition basically says that if the first wife doesn't produce children, you can marry again so that you have an heir. So he had a second wife, and she had children. And, and all the different trips, they would make trips up every year to do the sacrificing to the Lord and worship the Lord. And, and every year she was teased and mocked. And in this particular time that we find, we're told that her despair was great. Now, I, I, as a man, I, I don't know. I cannot understand the despair of a wife who seeks to be a mother and is unable to, to achieve that. I, I just, I cannot comprehend it. I cannot understand the anguish. I can read about it. 
In fact, I ran across a story written by a Mandy Blankenship, and she explained it this way. My husband and I tried for years to get pregnant. That's 48 months of emotional ups and downs, reading significance into every headache, inkling of nausea, or abnormal flutter, abdominal flutter. A seamless, seemingly endless 1,461 days caught between hope and heartbreak. One night, one out of every eight couples deals with infertility. So our story wasn't the, uh, that unusual. But for those who have struggled to conceive or sustain pregnancy, it is intensified specific. Every doctor's appointment, every ovulation or pregnancy test, every day that goes by is like a point fingering, a pointing finger declaring your inadequacy. Mother's Day, in particular, can feel like a slap in the face, a reminder of all God hasn't yet or might never fulfill. I know I cannot understand that, but her anguish and pain, the same as Hannah's, was real. It was such that it caused her to go into a depressed state, her sad, her, wor- his, her tears, and, and everything that followed. But yet, she managed to seek the Lord. And we are told to seek the Lord. We are, we are told in Matthew 6.30, seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 7.8, for everyone who seeks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be provided. In Hebrews 11.6, we're told, and who f- And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that his reward is those who seek him. Hannah sought after the Lord. She went and and bowed down before the temple and she began to pray. Eli the priest noticed her. And he actually, afterwards, he found out the situation because first he looked at her and he said, man, why are you drunk? You're drunk. Get out of here. You don't need to be here. And to me, that basically states that maybe the times, the times indicated that maybe not too many people came by the temple and he just didn't recognize it. But Hannah said, no, 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 no. This is, this is not, I'm not drunk. I'm asking the Lord. I'm seeking the Lord. He then told her to go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you made to him. It's at that point that Hannah's whole demeanor turned. She totally changed. She was no longer weeping and crying. She was no longer, she had this smile on her face. She was eating her food. She was joyous because she knew something was going to happen. She believed that God was going to provide. And God did. For as we know, she gave birth to a son by the name of Samuel. Now, the joy that she probably expressed, I can understand that. I don't know how it was for you, but when our daughter was born in the 1970s, Judy and I were on the cutting edge. 
Not that we're having kids. No, no. It's the fact that fathers were permitted into the delivery rooms. And this was a Navy hospital. And there it was, I'm standing in that room just, you know, and Judy's doing her thing, and all of a sudden that baby comes out, and that, I was 20-something years old, so anybody above 30 looked old. And that elderly nurse took that baby and put her out there and said, don't touch it. <laughs> it's mine! <laughs> I didn't get to touch it. In fact, I went home after all, everything was done and didn't come back to the next day to pick Judy up. And that was the first time I got to hold my daughter. But what was really neat is when we brought her home and we were giving her a bath that night, I wanted to give her the bath, so I did. And there I was holding her, getting ready to put her into the bathroom, and I got baptized into fatherhood. <laughs> that was joyful. So I can understand Hannah's joy at this point. But this brings me to the first characteristic. Who can stand? Those who seek God. Year after year, Hannah worshipped. Year after year, she sought God to provide her with a child. She continued to seek Him. She stood before God. And God provided. He provided in His time. Well, this leads me to the second individual that we run across, and that's Eli. Eli was both judge and priest at the time, and the interaction he had with Hannah, I think, was basically an indication of where the priesthood was, where Eli was spiritually. In fact, if we look at the man, he basically that he was nearly blind. He was physically weak. And sadly, he was weak spiritually. He served as judge for 40 years. The good things he did, well, he blessed Hannah. And when Hannah came back, because she committed Samuel to the Lord and brought him back at a appointed time, which means he was probably somewhere around five or six years old, because the rabbinic tr tradition again states that a mother usually nursed from 18 months to five years. And Hannah said, when the baby is weaned, I will present him. And so she presented him to Samuel, or to Eli, and Samuel lived and was taught, mentored into the priesthood. However, over time, we find that Eli has, well, things weren't going too well for him. We go back to Judges 21-25 and it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it was basically the same at this time. Because during this time, Israel were worshiping idols. The idol worship had climbed up again. The dip from where they were down into the, into the valley again of the, the idol worship, the worshiping of other gods, the pushing aside the true God of Israel. But as we read on, we find out that there in chapter 3, we find out that it's his sons, or in chapter 2, excuse me, that it's his sons, 
are the problem. Because he had two sons who basically looked only after themselves. They would short, they would do terrible things within the temple when it came to the sacrifices. They would take the finest of meat from those who were presenting the sacrifice for the Lord. They were doing those things that were totally against the God, God and it basically says that they did not know God. So Eli, the man that he was, he basically had half a heart for God and a half a heart for his sons. But a half a heart is not a heart for God. As Samuel grew and matured, God spoke to him, finally identified who it was, and Samuel heard God say that Eli was not going to be priest any longer. He had to tell Eli that, and Eli took it. And then we find out that it was his sons that took the ark into the battle, and his sons were killed, and the ark was captured. And then when he, the word got back to Eli, Eli was sitting in a chair, and it fell backwards, and he died. Eli failed to obey. Eli didn't listen to the Lord. The Lord had quit speaking to him because it says of Samuel that when Samuel was there that the Lord started speaking again in Shiloh. So somewhere in the scope of Eli's ministry, God stopped speaking. But now Samuel has come and God is now speaking again. And that brings us to Samuel, the third person, presented to Eli, promised by Hannah, And in 3.19 it says of Samuel, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and and let none of the words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Even though Samuel was deemed a prophet while Eli was alive, he was not a judge over Israel. It wasn't until the ark had been away from Shiloh for 20 years that Samuel actually stepped into the into the judge being a judge of Israel. And his first action was to call Israel together in chapter seven. And he says, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, put away all these idols, put away the asterisks, put away the Magog, put away all that stuff and worship the Lord, and they did. Then they said, well, let's gather at Mezpah. And so they come together at Mezpah to worship. They come together to confess their sins. They came together to pray. They came together to renew their commitment to the Lord and sacrifice to the Lord. And while they were coming together, those pesky Philistines come back in. And they're sneaking up. They heard that the Israelites were all there, and so here comes the Philistines up after them. And while they're up there worshiping and doing what God wants, renewing themselves to the Lord, all of a sudden God has this clap of thunder 
this clap that resonates. We all know what that's like when you have that big booming clap of thunder that rattles your windows and shakes your house. This had to be much more. Because it caused the Philistines to scatter. It caused them to run. And when the Israelites saw them, they chased after them. And they were able to put some of them down. But all was not such pleasantry for Samuel. Even though Samuel walked with the Lord his entire life, when he grew old, it says, he appointed his sons judges. His sons, much like Eli's, used the ministry for their own self-gain. Used the ministry for what they could profit from it. Used the ministry of, of being a judge to prop, prop themselves up. And it's that time that the people said, we've had enough. We've had enough. We want a king. We've had enough with the judges. We've had enough with all this. We want a king like everybody else. And this brings us to the next individual, and that's Saul. Through a series of events, Saul is appointed king. And he is described in chapter 9, the fact that he comes from a wealthy family. He is handsome and tall. But if you notice that description, the one thing that was missing, there was no indication of a heart for God. There was no desire to pursue God or follow God. In fact, if you notice the life of Samuel, the Spirit had to come upon him in order for him to be prophesying and dancing and doing things so the people could see that Saul was going to be God's anointed king. As his life progressed, he had some wins over the Ammonites. Jonathan, he basically poked the bear because he went in and, and poked the Philistines. And the Philistines all gathered together. And all of a sudden, Saul and his army is facing this massive army of the Philistines, and his army scatters. Have you ever faced something that just scared you? I had an old plum tree. When we lived over in Garland, there was a plum tree out in the backyard. It died. But in that plum tree that I didn't know about, there was a wasp nest. I happened to hit that tree, and all of a sudden these wasps start going over, and I start backing up and moving back towards the house. And See, there was a, a fenced inner yard, and then there was an outer yard. The outer yard was for the dog. The inner yard was for everybody else. And so I'm sitting there backing up, and I'm between the porch and that gate for the outer yard, and there's this wasp. I'm not kidding you. If I'm lying, I'm dying. That sucker just hovered right there in front of me, and we were eye to eye. I'm not kidding you. And I'm trying to swat him away and stuff like that. And he's not, I'm backing up, but he's just right there. I was scared. I don't like getting stung. Not allergic to it, but I just don't like getting stung. 
But I was fearful. I was running for the house. The Israelites, once they saw the Philistines, they ran for the mountains. They ran for the caves. They ran for anywhere they could hide. And so Samuel told Saul, you know, wait seven days because, you know, we got to do something. Wait for seven days. I'll come and we'll make sacrifice. Saul didn't wait. You see, you have to understand, Samuel is that prophet, and when he speaks, he's speaking as if God is speaking. And so he told Samuel to, to Saul to wait seven days. On the seventh day, Samuel didn't show up when Saul thought he should show up, and he, could, he, did the, he performed the sacrifice. Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? Well, I waited. I waited, and, and, but you didn't show up. And so I perform the sacrifices. Well, Saul has no right to do that because he is neither in the priestly line nor is he a high priest because he is of the tribe of Benjamin. That's strike one. Samuel tells him, because of what you've done, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord, you have lost the kingdom. And there will be another one, a man after my own heart, which will be raised up in your place. Moving on the story, just we come to the, where Samuel tells Saul, you know, because Saul's worried about the Amalekites. You know, you need to go in there and you need to destroy everything. Destroy it all. Everything must be destroyed. Well, guess what? Saul doesn't obey again. Samuel shows up and all of a sudden he hears all the sheep in the background. Bah! The oxen, you know, hearing all this, hearing all this, what's this? Well, we kept those for sacrifices. Well, what about the king? Well, the king we kept for you to, so that we can, you know, take care of him while you're here. Once again, he did not obey the word of the Lord. For he was told to get rid of it all. Strike two. Moving on, strike three. We come to the point where Saul is once again up against the Philistines. And he doesn't know what to turn, where to turn because the word of the Lord quit speaking. Have you ever reached that point in your life sometimes when things are so dry? You're wondering, God, where are you? God, why aren't your spirit speaking to me? Why aren't you saying something to me? I'm asking you for direction. When in times he may be saying, wait, other times he's, he's just silent. But for Saul, there was no word. Well, early on, he said, you know, get rid of all the witches. All the witches were supposed to be taken, sorcerers and witches, they were all supposed to be kicked out of the land. Well, they weren't. There was one. Saul told one of his men to go find her, and they went to her, and he wanted, I need to speak to Samuel. I don't think it was the witch that brought Samuel back. I think it was the Lord, much like he did for the men that showed up for, to minister to Jesus. He said, and Samuel said, well, look at what you've done. Strike three. In this battle, you're going to die. Your family will die. Saul's death takes place. And meanwhile, all of this is going on. There's a one man in the wings, David, as we know. He's rising up. He's coming to a place, and, he's, and it says of him, Paul speaks of him. He speaks of, of God's feelings about him in Acts 13.22. He says, I found David, son of Jesse, a man of my own heart. 
David did what God wanted him to do. A man after his own heart, God said of him. Why? Because he was faithful to God. He loved God's law, and he was thankful. And as we look at these lives that I've just gone over, it brings me to the second point, or the second characteristic. Who can stand? Those who are obedient to God are the ones that can stand. They are the ones. We saw that Eli did not stand because he did not fully take care of what needed to be done. He was not fully obedient to God. Saul was not obedient to God, but yet Samuel stood before God and was his mouthpiece. David declared as the man after God's own heart because he was obedient to the commands of God. Those who can stand are those who are obedient to the Word of God. I realize there are times when it is tough. I realize we are asked sometimes of the Spirit to do things we don't really want to do. But yet the blessings that come when we do take care of them. Well, David's on the top of the world now. He's at the very top. He's at the pinnacle of his, his kingship. He's built his temple, I mean, his, his, his um, kingdom. He's built up uh, his house and everything around him. But yet there was no house for, this, for God. There was no house for the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark had been returned during that time that David made sure that that Ark came back. But there was no house for that. And he, that was his, his baby. He wanted to build it. But yet we begin to look at it. How can this David be a man after God's own heart when we read the story of him and Bathsheba, him committing adultery, him committing murder? How do we, how do we, we look at that? Because according to the law, adultery is the, the, the penalty is death for murder is death. So how could he be a man after God's own heart? Nathan comes in. God sends Nathan, this man Nathan in, and tells a parable. You have this little, this little lamb, this one guy with this one lamb, and you have this one over here with a whole lot of lambs, but yet he takes the one lamb from him, and David says, he needs to die. Nathan pointedly points his finger and says, David, that's you. Oh, king, that is you. Right away, David's demeanor changes. He realizes what he has done. And we find in Psalm 51 what he is talking David's attitude. It basically, David re realized what he had done and he wrote it. And David, he's written a lot of Psalms. If you read them, you realize his life was not perfect. He sinned and he would confess it. In the Psalms, he would speak of the thanksgiving and praise. He would do all these different things in relationship to God because he wanted that relationship with God. Remember, he was found to be faithful. He was found to, to love God's law and he was found to be thankful. But in Psalms 51, 
verse 17, David wrote, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. The difference of David and the others was David sought forgiveness. David's whole attitude was one, God, I've, I messed up. I don't know about you, but when I read these words, broken and contrite heart, I ask God, what, what is it, God? It, it, what does it really mean to have a broken heart before you? What is it like to know that you've achieved that in your life? And I ask that often because, you see, I keep this little thing in my, my diary about broken, contrite hearts, what it is, what it's like. And when I look at this, I, I, the first thing I, I want to do is know the words because there are some key words there, like broken. Broken comes from the Hebrew word meaning to break or break in pieces. Contrite comes from the Hebrew word meaning to crush. Heart comes from the Hebrew word meaning inner man, mind, or will. Spirit comes from the Hebrew word meaning breath or wind. When we put this all together, a contrite heart is a spirit. Heart or spirit is when a person's inner man or will has been broken so that they no longer run after the things they want, but surrender to the things that God wants. A broken heart or will says, I will no longer do this my way or on my terms, but I will surrender to your ways this type of heart that is fully surrendered to God will never turn away. God, have I achieved that? God, am I still moving towards it? God, what, what is it like? Sometimes I don't sense I'm there. Is it achievable in this life? To really sense and have that broken spirit. David seemed to have accomplished it. He realized his sin, but, but he had to have somebody point it out to him. When somebody points out your sin, what's your reaction? I know for me, when Judy identifies a problem with me, not that I have many, um, <laughs> I usually grow quiet. I seclude myself. Because I realize not only maybe have I sinned against her, but I know I've sinned against God. I hate when she does that. But how do you respond? Are you open to having people point out your sin? A friend? I'm sure it all depends on how you approach it. But when it's identified, what do you do with it? You just brush it off, sweep it away, like a wasp buzzing around in front of you? 
or you take it to heart, God, what, what is this all about? What is it that's in my will that I need to, to allow to be broken? David never reached his, the same pinnacle again. The, that moment before he encountered Bathsheba was the top of his game. After that, it went downhill. But this brings me to the third point, our third characteristic. Those who can stand before God are those with a broken will. I hope I'm in the process of having my will broken. Sometimes it's not easy because this thing called pride gets in the way. But as believers today, we stand, we stand because of Jesus Christ because he stands before us, before the Father. And so we can stand before God in all of our brokenness, in all of our disobedience, and even the failure to seek him out. But these three characteristics are characteristics of a life that is in pursuant of God one who desires to conform to the image of Christ, one who seeks his face, who seeks who he is, realizing that he is Lord, and it's only because of him we can stand before the Father. It's we who seek to be obedient because Christ asks us to do that. And in the process, because of what Christ has done for us on the crucifixion on the cross, are we willing to have our will broken so that we can conform more to the image of God? Broad strokes, a lot of different people. But I truly believe these characteristics are part of an individual's lives who stands before God. Perhaps one, maybe more, of the characteristics you are wrestling with in your life. I know I am. Which one is it that God would have you work on? Which one would God have you adjust in your life, develop in your life in order for you to conform more to the image of Christ and enjoy the hope that we have in him. Let's pray. Father, we this morning we have looked at the lives of the key individuals through the book of Samuel that you, for some reason, had, in, had put into this book we call our Bible. 
these lives of different men who walk this earth. And God, I pray for us as a church that your spirit will move. We realize that when your word goes out, it never comes back void. Let us evaluate our lives in the, in the presence or in the comparison of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, let us move closer to him. Help us to seek you greatly. Help us to desire to be obedient to you constantly. And help us, Father, to identify the areas of our wills that need to be crushed, that need to be broken, as we seek to conform our lives to you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the people who are here, who heard your word. Go with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through his word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church. But tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.